Hey, how's it going, New Hope? Thanks for joining us for our online gathering. One of the things I love most about backpacking is I put all the stuff I need for an entire week to live off of in my backpack, and then I just go. It's a little liberating. It's also one of the things I that's most challenging or I hate about backpacking because it's heavy. Uh, when I load up my backpack uh, for a trip, we're usually going four or five nights, 40 miles, that type of a thing. It's uh, about 38 pounds, which is heavy. I have uh, my my inflatable pillow, my inflatable pad, my sleeping bag. I have my camp chair. That's essential. Some backup shoes because I want to get out of my boots, some rain gear, a packable down, a winter cap. Uh, let's have a bear canister usually, bear spray if we're in bear territory, freeze-dried food, water, and then we have general camp gear that we all split up like stoves and pots and pans and tents and those types of things. And then I have some special goodies for myself. Anyway, at the end of the day, it's normally 38, sometimes 40 pounds. First day out, I'm running up the hills. I'm loving it. I can't wait to be in the wild. I feel fresh. I feel invigorated. Day two, a little less so. By day three, I'm getting tons of pain right here and here and here. And I put on the pack and it's just like, oh, in the morning. By day four, I'm tired and don't want to put on my pack. By day five, I'm weary and burdened. I can't wait to get to the end of the trip and relieve myself of this pack that I've been hauling around all week. I think that that phrase, weary and burdened, certainly describes my heart in this season. I expect it describes a lot of your hearts. I like to think that we're all kind of carrying around these metaphorical backpacks, and they're filled with different types of burdens, burdens from the past and the present and the future. Sometimes we're in seasons of life and our burdens are light. And sometimes we're in seasons of life where our packs are full. And I think this is a pack full type of season for most of us. What do we do? <laughs> well, essentially, as we'll discuss today, we turn to Jesus who alone is able to lighten our load and provide rest for our souls. To figure out how that happens in our life, we have to get to know his heart. And we're gonna explore the heart of Jesus today. We are in the fourth week of a series called The Way Forward, following Jesus in a chaotic world. The goal of the series is to give us tools and practices to implement into our lives so that we emerge from this season, not only surviving, but thriving and wholehearted. The first week we talked about unplugging or not meant to go, go, go. We have to take breaks to get in the uninterrupted presence of God. How you doing with that? If you sign up for our app, we're sending out this prayer every Monday as a catalyst to weave that into your life. Take a break. Everything works better after you unplug, even you, even me, even Jesus. Week two, we talked about simplicity. We only have so much space in our hearts and we often fill our hearts with stuff that really doesn't matter. And then there's no space for the stuff that really does matter. So our practice that week was to give something away. And it could be a tangible possession. It could be a time commitment. It could be some emotional burdens that we're carrying. Uh, give it away. Create space in your heart for what really, really matters. Last week, we talked about this thing I'd never heard, hear people talk about, seeking beauty. Seeking beauty is a practice. It's the idea of the beauty, when we see it and we encounter it, it unlocks this incredible longing for what's going to come one day, kingdom come. 
beauty reminds us that God is good. And so our challenge to you this past week was to just notice beauty. Stop, notice it, name it, say, that's beautiful, and thank you and be grateful for it. How's that going? Maybe that's something you forgot, and you can implement any of these things at any time. This week, we're going to talk about the practice and the idea of gentleness. Just like beauty, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on gentleness in all my years in church. I know I haven't given one, and that's about to change. And just like beauty, I think the practice of gentleness is absolutely essential to not only surviving this season, but thriving in this season. And we're going to dig into the practice of gentleness today. Our passage, we read it actually in the first week, and I talked about being a passage kind of for the series uh, from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. So if you're on our online platform, you can go down where it says Bible and click on that and actually get that up there and interact with it throughout the message Uh, This week, uh, Jerry will be reading our passage. He's got this great reading voice. So enjoy. Take it away, Jerry. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate that. The context for this passage, and again, if you're looking at it, I encourage you to look at it right before the verses that, that Jerry read. And it's important to know context. Jesus says to his disciples and the religious leaders and the people who are listening to him, no one can know God except through me. He's essentially saying, if you want to know God, look at me. And that's really important because Jesus is about to reveal his heart. He's about to talk about who he is at his most core. And thus he's revealing uh, who God is. So the words start with these incredible words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We have this misnomer sometimes that that to come to Jesus, we got to have like the VIP pass. We got to have our lives all cleaned up. That's the special select group that can come to Jesus. And this just lays that aside. He just that's, that's just not true. Jesus says, come to me. And here's who, who he asked, come to him, all who are weary and burdened. So go ahead at home and just raise your hand if you're either weary or burdened. Either one. I think that's probably most of us uh, raising our hands. I'm in. That's that's totally me. The word weary is present tense, meaning it's continual weariness. And you could actually uh, say heavily burdened. It's emphasized like that in the Greek. Uh, Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are continually weary and heavy burdened. He's just describing the season we're all in. And then he, he says he wants to give us rest. That sounds great. So how do, we, how do we experience this rest? He then goes on and says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. Jesus is invoking, that's a weird term for us, yoke, but not for them. It's an agrarian society. Uh, they understood that. And he's also invoking this idea that the Jewish religious leaders used of the yoke. They would call it the yoke of the law or the yoke of Torah. Or some um, religious leaders would say to their disciples, those who followed them, the yoke of following them, the weight of following them. Growing up, I heard lots of sermons on this message, and almost every time I heard the the pastor, the preacher talk about that this yoke is like, it's a picture that will come up here that you'll see. And it's what's in our mind, two cows yoked together, plowing. And as I dug into this, most scholars say that's not true. That's not the type of yoke Jesus was talking about. They had yokes, and a picture will come up again, that were human yokes. And these were just yokes that went over someone's shoulders, and then they would tie the burdens behind them, and they would use the yoke to drag the burdens. 
to, to, I mean, they didn't have engines and automation and all that. So usually it was slaves and, and people in the lower class, poor people that would be, you just see them using these yokes to drag it through. That's the image that Jesus is invoking and even the one that the religious leaders use. It was assumed that following someone there was going to be a burden and a yoke. And the people who followed the religious leaders, like a typical Jewish person listening to Jesus, would totally understand that. The law at that time felt like a yoke. It felt like dragging a million pounds behind you. The religious leaders had constructed 613 commands based off the Torah. 613. So it's like, who can do that? Jesus later on in Matthew uh, says these words, and he's interacting with how the people are feeling about the yoke of the law. It says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to even lift a finger to move them. So he's saying the, the religious leaders are laying these burdens that the people are having to drag behind them, and they're just kind of standing back saying, they're <laughs> not even lifting a figure to help. Jesus is offering a different yoke. So he's using this imagery, and then he's coming in, and he's revitalizing it, and he's helping people see a new way. He says, uh, learn from me. This is a call to discipleship. In the Greek, the root word of learn and disciple is the same root word. Jesus is essentially saying, be my disciple. Follow me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. Or a better translation, and this is kind of old school translation, but I think it's more accurate, is gentle and lowly in heart. The religious leaders stood high. They, uh, they were like on pedestals in a superior place above the people. Jesus said, that's not me. That's not how I lead. That's not going to be what it's like for my disciples if you learn from me and follow me. Jesus is like, I'm lowly. I'm down with you in the dirt. And I'm going to come up from under you, and I'm going to actually help you out. Jesus liked to hang out with the little ones. He liked to hang out with those who were dispossessed and on the margins. And he's like, hey, just anyone. I'm lowly. Just come as you are. You don't have to be a special person to be my disciple. Thank goodness. Uh, accepting a yoke in those times meant, as a, as a teacher would use that term, it meant submitting to someone's rule and authority. And Jesus means that. Jesus is calling us to submit to his rule and authority, because uh, his his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So Jesus is like, I'm going to give you a different experience from the heavy burdens and the no finger lifting to help scenario that you've been in for so long. I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to help you carry your burdens. That's what it's like to follow me. That's what it's like to be my disciple. My yoke is <clears throat> easy or kind could be a translation there. And my burden is light. What is the result of a disciple? Like me, like many of you who choose to follow Jesus, it will be a lightheartedness will be the result. And that's incredible to think about that. Over the last decade or so, a new trend has emerged in backpacking. Uh, it's called ultralight backpacking. Maybe you've heard of it. And these ultralight backpackers, they go for the same span of time, like a week into the wilderness, same types of trips that, that I do yearly. But instead of a 38 or 40 pound pack, some of them have 10 pound packs or 12 pound packs. They get super, super light gear and they have nothing but essentials. Um, but they don't have like I do, like an extra pillow and books to read and a big bag of candy. Don't judge. I know that you're judging. Sometimes uh, these ultralight backpackers will pass us, pass me, is I'm like three or four days in the journey and started to feel heavy bird with my 40-pound pack. 
and they just kind of look at me and smirk a little bit with their little light backpacks. And I, I'll be honest with you, I want to trip them at that point, but that isn't the way of Jesus. So I just kind of look down in shame. <laughs> and I do have to admit, they always look more rested and like they're enjoying it more. Following Jesus, learning from Jesus, being his disciple is like ultralight backpacking. Most social media sites, whatever your deal is, if you're on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, that kind of deal, somewhere around your picture, most of them ask you for like a short summation statement about who, who you are. If somebody's just checking out your site, they see your picture, and here's just a couple lines of who you are. So many years ago, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, I wrote this for Facebook in the About Me section. I say, a follower of Jesus, a blessed husband and dad, an unworthy pastor, that's true, loved by my father, daily in need of grace. That's who I am. And, and I wrote that all the time ago. It's totally still accurate in every regard. These little snapshots are supposed to put our heart on display. They're supposed to say like, this is the core essential of who I am. Jesus does this in the passage. Look back at it. Who does he say he is? How does he describe his heart? In four gospels, in, in 89 chapters of Bible, we're, we're told all kinds of things about Jesus, his teaching and stories about him, only one place right here in Matthew 11 does Jesus describe his heart. That's it. One place we get a snapshot. And it's not lengthy. Look, look in the passage, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. How does Jesus describe his heart? You can say it to the person next to you. You can, you can write it in the chat thing. It's an easy answer. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. If Jesus has a, had a Facebook page, and I'm most certain he would never have a Facebook page. If he did, in the About Me section, it would simply say gentle and lowly, done. That's it. Here's the deal. I've, I've interacted with this passage for a long time. I've read it countless times in all my decades of following Jesus. I've heard numerous sermons on this passage, and I've always, every single time, missed the most important word. And there's a slide that's going to come up, and the most important word is going to be circled. I bet you can guess it. What is the most important word of this passage? It is gentle. It is Gentleness is not just a characteristic of Jesus. It's not just an attribute of Jesus. It's who he is at his most core, in the center of his being. It's who he is. He is the gentle one. And this fits with revelations of God from the Old Testament. The prophet Elijah, God appeared to him, and, and we're told that, that, that God did not appear in the earthquake. God did not appear in the fire. God did not appear in the wind. God appeared... Exact translation in the Old Testament, in a gentle whisper. The prophet Isaiah, talking about the Messiah, who we know is, is Jesus to come, but this is well before Jesus, says that he will be one who would not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. Those are things that are barely hanging on, and this Messiah would be so gentle as to protect those things. The prophet Zechariah uh, Matthew interacts with Zechariah and quotes Zechariah as he's depicting the scene of Jesus coming in on what we call Palm Sunday. All the, the crowd waving their palms. And then Matthew quotes this. He says, the king will come to Zion gentle and riding on a donkey. This should give great comfort to all of us who may have these things entrenched in our heart when we think of God or we picture God as harsh and oppressive. The scriptures present God as totally opposite. Jesus himself, who is the embodiment of God, said, here's who I am. I'm gentle. And that's it. 
what is gentleness? If this is so core to who Jesus is, and I'll argue so core to experiencing the rest that he offers us, we must define it. And so I, I did, I spent a good amount of time trying to look at, at all the different Greek words. There's several different Greek words that interact with this idea of gentleness to come up with a definition that I think is accurate for you. This is a living definition, meaning it could change in time, but this is the best I could come up with right now. And I think it, it pretty much captures what Jesus is saying. Gentleness is quiet strength that offers space for grace. Gentleness is quiet strength that offers space for grace. Let me unpack this a little bit. One of the, the mistakes we make when we think about gentleness is that gentleness equals weakness. One of the old school translations of gentleness is the word meekness. It's still used in some translations. Same Greek word, meekness, weakness. And people stop using it because of that connotation. But still, we think gentleness and we think of someone curled in the corner, getting bullied and beat on, helpless, no strength. That's what goes into our mind. That is not gentleness at all. Gentleness presumes strength. Strength is at, the, is, is at the core of someone who is gentle, but it's a quiet strength. It's an unassuming strength. A gentle person is not up, you know, congratulating themselves and grandstanding about their self-importance and how strong they are. They're quiet and they're unassuming, but make no mistake, they're strong. I would say a gentle person, they're, they're the strongest people on planet Earth. This quiet strength offers space for grace. And Offer means to imply a relational connection. This word gentleness is not an attribute or characteristic we keep to ourselves. It's a relational characteristic. We were gentle in proximity and in relationship to one another. Um, gentleness submits its strength to others around us to help them, to lift them up. Somehow, sometimes it's helpful to, to clarify the meaning of a word by thinking of its antonym or its opposite. I would say the polar opposite of gentleness is domineering. Domineering is a person who asserts their strength and their power in an arrogant or a controlling way. That's the polar opposite of gentleness. Gentleness is quiet strength that offers space for grace. When Jesus declared himself gentle and lowly, what do you think his disciples, these young teenage boys, what do you think the crowd, what do you think the religious leaders thought? He was right at that point where people were giving serious consideration as to whether he was the promised one, the Messiah. And he's like, hey, here, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you the core of who I am. I'm gentle and lowly. I think it would have been shocking to the people listening. I don't think it's what anyone had in their mind of the Messiah, but Jesus was crystal clear who he was, and he's crystal clear who he calls his followers to be. He says, learn from me, be like me, follow in my footsteps. So we're to be gentle as Jesus is gentle. And we see this everywhere in the New Testament. Here's a couple prominent examples. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus right at the beginning of that gives what we call the Beatitudes. And these are uh, things not that we're necessarily called to be. They're attributes of people who will inhabit the kingdom. He's given us a snapshot of like, this is what kingdom dwellers will look like. And then he's listing these things. And I think this is like number three. He says, blessed are the meek, or that's the, our same Greek word, gentle, for they will inherit the earth. The strong, the domineering will not inherit the earth. That's our default thinking. Jesus said, no, the gentle one hair of the earth. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's how people know the Spirit of God is in us and leading us and empowering us. 
Paul tells young Timothy to pursue gentleness. He tells the Colossian church to clothe themselves with gentleness. If you're going to be an elder in a church, which is the, the spiritual leadership group in a church, Paul gives a list of expectations for people who can qualify as elder. One of those is that they would be gentle. One author says gentleness is the most Christian we can be. Gentleness is the most Christian we can be. I would say it's not just kind of a, one of the attributes. It's the core of who we're called to be as we follow Jesus and we're his disciples. In a world of oppression and strong arming, in a world of bullying and domineering and shouting, we desperately need a little gentleness. Can I get an amen? I hope so. So let's talk about that. Um, to acquire gentleness, to, to follow the gentle one and be like him, we have to understand how gentleness works. And so this, let's look at this phrase. Gentleness offers space for grace. There is a, there's a sense about the word gentleness. And I think even think about when you've encountered a gentle person or you've had a gentle encounter, there's a spaciousness to it. There, there's an aspect to that relationship and that encounter that gives space for making mistakes, that gives space for people to be who they're called to be, to be different than us, to, to find or experience redemption. It offers space for grace. It gives the benefit of the doubt. Uh, uh, gentleness uh, believes a better story. I, I heard this great game this parent plays with their children, and, and maybe one of you, I tried hard to think about who told me about it. I can't think, so my apologies. This is not my original idea. But they play this game called Let's Believe a Better Story, and they were telling me about it. It's a really cool game. And the game is when they encounter someone, especially out with their children, who is mean to them or domineering. It could be out while they're shopping. It could be on the roadway. So imagine uh, you're cut off by an angry driver and they give you the one finger salute kind of deal. Like that thing happens. Like we've all been there. Our initial response is to meet that energy and be angry. And But believing a better story, and this is what this parent does. They're like, as their, as their kids are even saying like, well, you know, what a jerk. That's the way, that's believing a worse story. Believing a better story is like, huh, Let's talk about maybe what that person's day was like. Maybe maybe they lost their job, you think? Ooh, they, they seem angry. Maybe they just came from the doctor and they got a diagnosis that was, was oh, right? Maybe a, a core relationship's ending. Maybe they're an abusive relationship, right? That's, that's believing that this person has reason maybe for asking. It doesn't, doesn't set it aside. It doesn't say it's okay. But we're entering into that and giving them space for grace. We're giving them the benefit of the doubt. And here's the deal. Gentleness, even if, even if we discover there's not a better story, even if we discover that person is just a jerk, maybe, and they were just doing something mean, which happens in life, gentle people still give space for grace. Here's why. Because we're all kind of the same. We're all in this together. The word gentleness, if you look at the etymology of it in English, it goes back to this word that means to be of the, of the same family, of the same clan. Isn't that interesting? So when we're being gentle, we're acknowledging we're all kind of these broken people, having hard days, sometimes being mean when we don't mean to be, sometimes striking out in ways we shouldn't. And collectively, because we're all in this together, shouldn't we give each other the benefit of the doubt? When we're encountered with a very mean person, someone who's done something wrong to us, that could be us very shortly. We could be 
that challenging person that needs gentleness. Bob Goff, who's an author, I love this quote. He says, uh, love difficult people because you're one of them. Isn't that great? <laughs> yes, totally. Dan Crenshaw is a first-term uh, congressman from, from Texas. Uh, Dan served, uh, I think, five terms, or, or five tours, rather, uh, uh, over in Afghanistan and Iraq with uh, the Navy SEALs. And uh, during his last tour, uh, Dan uh, came upon an IED in Afghanistan and lost his eye. So he wears an eye patch. So some of you may, may know Dan or be familiar with him. In 2018, uh, SNL comedian Pete Davidson was on Weekend Update, and he's just trying to be funny. And he put up a picture of Dan with his eye patch, and he just made some vile remarks, basically making light, trying to, trying to make a funny joke about his eye patch in a very disrespectful way. And the, the, immediately, his comments were swiftly and widely condemned and rightly so. Dan, at that moment, had every opportunity to pile on. And, and it would be warranted, like, are you kidding me? After all, I've, you know, he gave uh, Pete a pass. He chose to just kind of believe the best, give him the benefit of the doubt. He didn't take the bait when people were asking him what Pete thought. He was gentle towards him. He gave him space for grace. Uh, not too long after, Pete uh, Davidson, the SNL comic on his Instagram account, clearly said that he was thinking about taking his own life. And, and the, the police responded, and a lot of his friends responded, and it ended up being okay. Pete lost his dad at age seven. He was a, a firefighter in 9-11. Uh, Pete's been very honest about his depression and thinks he may even be bipolar. He struggled in this area. It was very real. Who do you think called Pete shortly after seeing that? Dan called Pete just out of the blue and said, hey, man, like I saw that. I want to make sure you're okay. I just want you to know you have value, that God has you where he has you for a reason. It's going to be okay. I mean, is that incredible? Later, uh, Dan joined uh, Pete on SNL for a little weekend update deal. And uh, Dan said during one of the breaks when the camera was off and the mic was off, uh, Pete leaned over uh, to Dan and very quietly in his ear said, you're a, you're a good man. Well, the story continues. Uh, recently during a Netflix special, Pete <laughs> once again uh, came back around, thought he could find some, some comedy in this and said that he was kind of forced to apologize and made some more vile jokes. <laughs> about Dan. And I'd be, that'd be it for me. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like no more benefit of the doubt. You're just a jerk. Once again, Dan believes the better story and gives him the benefit of the doubt. He tried to get drawn in and he said, you know what? He said, comedians say all kind of crazy things and it's okay. You can't take them seriously. I met him. I know him. He means well, end quote. Oh, gentleness that gives space for grace in our world. We all need that. Again, another amen, hopefully. So that's one thing. Gentleness offers space for grace. Two, how does gentleness work? How does it operate? Gentleness provides rest. Uh, twice in this Matthew 11 passage, we see Jesus, the gentle one, uh, promise rest. And what is the rest we experience? Gentleness, when you experience it and when you give it, there's an unburdening. There's a lightening of the load that happens. You're using your quiet strength to come in and take some weight out of someone's pack and just lighten the load just a little bit. We see Paul talking this way to the Ephesians. He said, be completely gentle, bearing with one another. He tells the Galatians, be gentle and carry one another's burdens. In 
Second Thessalonians, Paul uses this image to describe what gentleness is. He says it's like a mother caring for a child. Picture a fussy infant and just the good mother picking up the infant, changing the diaper, feeding, rocking, singing, lullaby. There's an unburdening and a lightening of the load that leads to lightheartedness. That's at the core of what gentleness does. I shared in week one a little game that I used to play when I take high school students backpacking and particularly the boys would get mouthy. I would add rocks to their pack if you remember that story. That's essentially what the religious leaders were doing to the people just adding rocks and adding rocks, and it was getting more and more burden. Gentleness does the very opposite. And just so you don't think I was a horrible youth pastor, I would do that as well. And the many students who struggled up the mountain and their loads were about to break them, many times I and the other leaders would come up and say, hey, what's heavy in your pack that I can carry? And that's what gentleness says, can I carry that for you? Is there something that I can carry for you? That's what we're feeling when we experience gentleness. Think of gentle people in your life. I I hope that you have them. Um, I think of the chairman of our board, Ron Goldberg. If you've ever met Ron, he is literally a gentle man. Uh, Another person on our staff many of you have met and see speak is, is Mike Stern, our executive pastor. Mike is a gentle man. In both my interactions with those men, there's always the benefit of the doubt. There's always the believing the better story. Uh, There's space for grace, and there's always the, hey, what can I carry for you? Gentleness. We we desperately need it. Finally, how does gentleness work? Uh, Gentleness changes minds. It changes minds, and I would say hearts too, but sometimes you got to start here. Have you ever tried to change someone's mind on something, on a belief they deeply held? Good luck, right? It's, It's why it's called mindset. And here's where our world's gotten, and I know it's my default as well. When we try to change someone's mind, we believe deeply in something and they hold a different mindset. How do we normally do it? (laughs) We shout and we yell and we domineer. That's the go-to move in our society and our hearts. And I think that we all know this, that never works. Have you ever had an occasion where somebody's yelling at you and belittling your position and being domineering? You're like, thanks for sharing. I totally see that from your perspective now. <laughs> it actually, we brain studies have done this. It, it makes us double down on our own position. It doesn't work. We're in the repentance business, essentially. Repentance, that Greek word, means to change someone's mind. Uh, our minds were changed when, when the gospel invaded our lives. We thought differently about ourselves and about Jesus and the good news, and we're called to be proclaimers of that. And repentance is a piece of that. As we go into the world, we need to realize that domineering mindsets and yelling and shouting and belittling, it doesn't work. What changes minds? And research also shows this. Gentleness changes minds. Let me read this provocative passage from Paul to young Timothy. Picture young Timothy, early 20s, little ragtag church in the Roman Empire. These followers of Jesus are getting belittled. They're getting domineered. All kind of rumors are building about. They're getting persecuted. And here's what Paul says to Timothy. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome and must be kind to everyone able to teach and not resentful. And here it goes. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, uh, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Paul's tell, Peter says the same thing to the churches. And they're, they're telling these young pastors of the churches, don't do what you think comes naturally and be like the people who are yelling at you. The only way you're going to change minds and hearts is be gentle. 
just be gentle. They're essentially saying, gentle. Here's our practice for the week. And, and again, we try to keep these practices really simple. The practice for the week is respond gently. Respond gently. We did a Proverbs series this summer. These sages, these men and women that populate these rooms of wisdom, that pass on this wisdom. It's not just their wisdom, but it's generation after generation after generation after generation of men and women who have lived skillfully and well say, this works, do this. In Proverbs 15.1, we get this gem of wisdom. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And again, gentleness is not weakness. It's quiet strength. Later in Proverbs 25, it says, gentleness can break a bone. Gentleness is so strong, but it doesn't present as that. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word uh, stirs up anger. I struggle with this, full confession. I'm an Enneagram 8, if you know what that means at all. Basically, Enneagram 8s like conflict. We like, when conflict starts, we're like, oh, this is exciting. When I get going with somebody, and, and, and hopefully not in a mean-spirited way, but you just kind of the give and take and things get a little heated, Enneagram 8s feel intimacy. I know it's weird. But we're like, oh, I feel loved. They care. Because Enneagram 8s care most deeply about justice. And so we're willing to spend hours going back and forth with energy with somebody if we're in the pursuit of justice. Again, I know it's, it's odd. Pray for my wife and children. And, and I struggle with this. My default is when somebody comes at me with energy or comes at me with anger, I want to meet that, sometimes up that. And let me just tell you, for somebody who's been trying that many, many times, it never works. <laughs> it never works. You might win the battle, but you'll always, always lose the war. Gentleness, quiet strength that offers space for grace, that's what wins the day every single time. Uh, I've seen this in, in ministry again and again and again and coach staff through the years. When angry parents come in, don't respond in kind. It's never going to end well. Just respond in gentleness and it will go well. So, so this week, here, here's, here's the challenge is, is respond gently. This week, someone is going to come at you. It's just inevitable. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a coworker, could be somebody online, could be somebody on the roadways, could be somebody at Target or the grocery store. Someone's gonna come aggressively at you and you're gonna feel it right here. This is where it happens for me, just right there. You're just, mm, yeah. Respond gently. That's the part, just try it. You, just, you may not trust me, just try it. Don't, don't stir the pot, calm the waters. Don't troll, don't stoke the fire, don't, poke, don't get snarky, don't look for that emotional weak spot, don't do any of that, that's not gentle, give them the benefit of the doubt, believe the better story, give them space for grace just like you need and I need, maybe even ask how can I help you carry that, be gentle, I can almost guarantee you it will go well. Let's pray. God, thanks for your goodness and your grace, your faithfulness to us. And thank you, God, for your gentleness. Yet another thing from scripture in all these years, I haven't thought much about it at all. And here you say, your, your embodied self, Jesus saying, here's who I am at my core. I'm gentle, gentle. And we, we want to follow your son. That's our mission statement here at New Hope, to follow Jesus and share his love. That means we need to be gentle 
and oh boy, this world needs gentleness like no other time in, in my life that, that I can imagine. God, help us. It's not easy. It's not natural, but equip us through the power of your spirit to be like the gentle one, to be like your son, Jesus, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.